back in on Canuck Central. Stan Riccio and Satyar Shah here uh, live in the mobile Kintech studio at the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors, theclaytonpub.com. Uh, Chef Swagger uh, uh, corrected me earlier. I uh, misstepped as a non-Surrey guy and said uh, – we are at 188th and Fraser Highway. We are at uh, Highway 10 and Fraser uh, Highway 10 and 188th is uh, what uh, what we really are at. So I, I showed my non-Surrey uh, in the in that moment, and shouts to our listeners for correcting me in that moment. Who says the media doesn't get held accountable? Um, this text uh, we've got a couple of things going on. Uh, Randy Janda is going to join us here in a second. By the way, JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit JanPro.ca. And this hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Where would the Canucks be if they had the Oilers shooting percentage and goaltending? Where would the Oilers be if they had the Canucks goaltending and shooting percentage? <laughs> I mean, we'll never know. We'll what never if you know. take away some of the best players from one team and put them on another team? Maybe it'd be different. Yeah. Uh, you know, this kind of ties in with our conversation from yesterday with, with Kevin Woodley. Um, the Oilers, they don't defend. And I guess maybe it's part of a a larger conversation about public data and analytics and how we view these things. And, you know, uh, we can't just, like, look at something in the moment anymore. It has to be, well, is it sustainable or is it not? And, well, you know, if they play this out over a longer stretch, it'll change. Things will start to normalize. But it doesn't take away from the fact that part of the reason the Oilers are, are where they are because they can't defend. They've put their goalies in terrible spots, spots that are impossible for them to get out of. You look, they, they were down 4 nothing in the first period yesterday against the Carolina Hurricanes. The first three goals, basically unstoppable for yeah. Stuart Skinner, unless he's superhuman. So I, <laughs> I'm not sure what you expect. And, yeah, maybe their expected goals doesn't tell you that. But you know what? Expected goals doesn't take into account – a basically guaranteed goal because you've had a play that goes across the ice twice and the goalie has zero chance of making that save. Well, it's it's being it's not being we were talking about this heading in. I think the public data is important, it's valuable, it helps you out. But if you're not spending enough time truly watching other teams, it's really hard to have strong enough opinions on what's going on. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people look at the analytics, especially on the traditional Shot metrics, Edmonton expected goals, top three. I mean, we went over this with um, Woodley. We're talking about a top yeah. five or six team and a lot of these metrics. So you look at that and say, why aren't they a top five or six team in the NHL? But if you watch them play, you're like, okay, they generate chances because they're trailing a lot of times. Yes. And they generate decent scoring chances, but not the, quite the same chances they're giving up. Because they're making types of mistakes that lead to two-on-ones. They lead to mistakes where one guy's alone defending against three uh, offensive players in his yeah. own end. You get outmanned to pucks. Guys are, are leaving the responsibilities. When those things happen, you create such a bad environment for your goaltenders, and you create 
so many incredibly high danger scoring chances for the other team, even if the, the share of volume isn't as high, the 10 chances you're giving up are like insane yes. chances you're giving up. And we saw a lot of that with Vancouver last season. And, and Thatcher Demko wasn't, <laughs> you know, the reason we all said, like looked at Thatcher Demko, oh, he's not playing as well. And yeah, he wasn't playing as well as we were used to, but also... Again, like you would have to be superhuman to succeed in the environment the Canucks were playing in front of him. And Spencer Martin had his struggles, no doubt. Yeah. But how many tap-ins were being scored on him? You know, you know like how many backdoor tap-ins happened? Yeah. And that's a real sign of a team that's not defending well. And they were giving up a lot of those Edmonton is. So I think if you look at the numbers, they tell you something about, yes, this team is still a squad that can generate offense. But it doesn't tell you about what the environment truly looks like defensively. And if you watch Edmonton play... I think you come away saying, yes, it's it's more than goaltending, and their entire team play is lacking despite whatever the expected goals may be telling you. Uh, a couple of more texts before we get to uh, Randeep. Uh, regression has arrived in Vancouver, and uh, this text, uh, Vancouver starting to fall off now. That is from... Sam, 650, 650 on the yeah. Dunbar Lumber text message. Hey, box. facts only. They've lost three of their last. They lost four of their last seven. They're three and four in their last seven. Uh, they're not as prolific offensively. And sure, you want to make that have that opinion? Great. People had the opinion of this team's going to, you know, uh, compete for the cup maybe. And people, you know, questioned us when we said, hey, there will be some natural regression here with, with the team. They're not going to, you know, be at 125 point pace. And people said, what if they are? What if they are a team that's going to be, you know, 120 plus points? Maybe this is the best team in franchise history. <laughs> People have that opinion. And so I think when the highs get high and the lows get low, people will tend to really get overly negative or positive at times. But the reality is it's a long season. You're, you're going to have some ups and downs. And it wasn't perfect for Vancouver the last little bit. They've had some bad performances. But I come away watching them against Colorado and saying, this is a team that still can play a team game. They can still hang. And if they correct some very correctable things in their game, they'll get back to winning a lot of hockey games. Sure, they have some shortcomings in order to truly be the Vegases, truly be the Boston Bruins, mm-hmm. but I think they're more than capable of, of being a strong hockey team, and I think they're showing that so far this season. It's uh, It was never going to be a season where they had that many points, and a lot of times... You know, the season ends up going on runs, right, where you win a bunch in a stretch of 10, and then maybe you go a little bit more like 500 through the next stretch of 10 games. As long as it adds up to being above 500 in the long run, and you'll end up on the better side of the playoff bar. Let's bring in our next guest. He is the color analyst for your Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650 and the host of Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi. It is Randeep Janda. Do you agree with the texter? The Canucks are uh, falling off a cliff. The the 18-wheeler is here, Randeep. I agree with the texter that said, you know nothing about Surrey. Uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of the 18-wheeler, no, it's still on the uh, still on the road. I know guys. where the golf courses are in Surrey, okay? All Beyond right. that, I am uh, I need to be more educated on, on the parts of Surrey. Well, you don't have to look too far for that. I'll, uh, we need to hit up, a, <laughs> hit up another Indian restaurant in Surrey sometime. But uh, in terms of being on the road, boys... Uh, it's still on there. It's maybe, you know, when you're sometimes you're driving, you just kind of drive over the line and your car gives you a message to, hey, get back, get your eyes back on the road a little bit. I feel yeah. like that's where the Canucks are just, uh, they're out of the boundaries a little bit over the last two weeks here. They have been. And 
the thing, however, outside of yes, I mean, of course, like we we talk about, they need to add a bit more to their roster to be a true, you know, Stanley Cup contender. But in terms of what has gotten in their way of success in recent games, and Rager makes a great point on text inbox. He says three and four in their last ten, but still six and four. Three and four in the last seven, but still six and four in their last ten. Facts only. It's facts only. Like they still <laughs> yep. they still won six of their last ten, right? Despite not playing the, their best hockey. But when we look at the mistakes they made against Colorado. We look at the mistakes they made against the Seattle Kraken. And perhaps fatigue is part of it, too, and focus and discipline and good teams find a way to overcome that. But we're not talking about a team that isn't belonging on the same sheet of ice in their recent losses. We're talking about a team that is getting in its own way of winning these games. And to me, a lot of that is correctable. It doesn't mean it's going to easily get better, and it doesn't mean it's easy. But we're still talking about very correctable things with this team right now. I think yesterday's matchup really showed us something about the Canucks of where they are in their climb, right? They're still on the way up the mountain. The Colorado Avalanche have been at the summit of the mountain. They've won the cup. They understand what it requires. And you look at that game and just kind of rewatching it today, um, Colorado and the way that they played, I know in the third period, the Canucks were pressing because they had to. They were in a position where, hey, you're down a goal. You have to press. You have to be aggressive on the forecheck. You have to take some chances like JT Miller did uh, that ended up in the back of his own net, unfortunately. But, you know, those are moments where, you're going to be you're going to be pressing a little bit and you're going to make mistakes. The Colorado Avalanche have played uh, and gone through that process of understanding what they need to do, when they need to step on the gas, when they need to step on the brake. And to me, last night's game, I know there's you look at the 5-2 scoreline which seems to be the scoreline of the Vancouver Canucks this season. They're either winning 5-2 or they're losing. <laughs> um, guys, that was a, a learning experience, and this is different, right? In the past, we've heard the measuring stick games of what does it require to be a winning team, measuring stick game of being a playoff team. But yesterday was one game where you're saying all it takes is one or two mistakes against a really good team, and they can end up in the back of your net. And when you look at the other team, are they making those mistakes? Even though they're injury depleted as well. They didn't have uh, Landeskog in the lineup. They didn't have the leading um, shorthanded goal scorer in the NHL and Logan O'Connor. They didn't have Samuel Girard. They still limited their mistakes. So to me, that game last night was a, hey, this is a part of the process. You're going to have a, a climb to the top of the mountain at some point. With the start that they had this year, uh, maybe people were thinking they're already at the top of the mountain. But when you play the Colorados of the world, when you play you know teams of that stature and that of a resume, uh, it is a learning moment. And that's where I look back at yesterday and I say, hey, you know what? Looking at it, the score is flattering to Colorado, but the Canucks were in it. And a couple of mistakes here and there can cost you against the really good teams. You know, uh, we were we were looking at uh, the third goal last night after Rick Tockett pointed it out in, in his post game and said uh, we gave them that third goal and uh, we didn't cover the slot. It's uh, been a, an ongoing thing where he's he's mentioned that he's mentioned the rail guys not covering their spot on a couple of occasions. We found out that that's generally the winger, and you watch that goal again, and it's Andre Kuzmenko I think uh, missing his assignment. Uh, you know, Kuzmenko's season so far, coming off a 39-goal year, of course it's going to feel a little bit disappointing. I don't think he's been all that bad, but it's just these little moments where he misses a defensive assignment, you notice them a lot more when you're not when you're not getting the goals like we did from Andre Kuzmenko last year. Yeah, and it's one of those lines that was used last year of, hey, if you're giving me 40 goals, um, we're willing to forgive some of the defensive deficiencies, but if you're not getting that, listen, 39 goals is pretty close to 40. Uh, this year, uh, even though it's a different coach, uh, it's essentially the same mentality. 
Guys, Andre Kuzmenko and Reach, we talked about this last week uh, when you were with Vic. And the goal totals I'm not worried about necessarily in the sense that if you're still getting point production, if you're still getting playmaking, which to his credit in that game last night, Kuzmenko did have a couple of good plays where Ilya Mikheyev finishes off that chance in the first period. We might be talking about assists rather than goals. But if you're not able to score those, if you're not getting that point production, if you're not being able to drive your line, uh, that is an area that those defensive deficiencies are going to be something that we focus on. And I think for Kuzmenko, he is a better player all around. I think he's bought in in terms of you know playing tougher along the walls, his battle level, his ability to especially complement Ilya Mikheyev. And we saw it early on when Mikheyev got back into the lineup, just in the neutral zone, being a little bit more aggressive and turning those plays into transition uh, as recently as that Ottawa game where Mikheyev ends up scoring a goal, it goes off his skate. I think there's improvement, but if there are moments like that in the game where you lose your assignment, where you're not you know, doing what the coach is essentially telling all of his players to do, yeah, we're going to come back to the point totals. We're going to come back to the goals that are not being scored. I think with Kuzmenko, and this is going to be the story for me, as you get closer to the month of March, can you trust Andre Kuzmenko to play in his own end? And that play, the Riley Tufty goal, was a classic example. Guys, there's not much room on the ice in the playoffs, or even before you get to the playoffs. The game tightens up, and what do we know about playoff hockey? What do we know about March hockey? Your top six guys, for the most part, you have to have trust in them if you're going to have them on the ice. Every single mistake is magnified in the playoffs or is, you know, you get close to the playoffs. So I think Kuzmenko, yeah, it's going to be a, we're going to be talking about him a lot in the next few months here because really it does, uh, I think there's going to be a a big talking point in the city of can he be trusted in the top six? You know, Pedersen's going to get his minutes. You know, Mikheyev's going to get his minutes. Uh, You know, JT Miller's line's going to get his minutes. But Kuzmenko, what does that ice time look like? And is he trusted in those high-stress moments where you need your guys locked in defensively? And the other guy, obviously, that's been talked about a lot recently, despite the fact that he's one of the top scorers in the National Hockey League, is Elias Pettersson. You know, Jazzy texts in and says he's been uh, terrible recently, um, and others have texted in wondering what's going on with Elias Pettersson. What, what should our level of expectations be of, of him, considering he doesn't look completely right? And how do you think it is affecting the overall team's performance? Well, looking at the most recent game, hey, the plus minus, we can go back and say, okay, he was, you know, against Calgary. He was a dash four in that game, another dash two against Colorado. Um, Just looking at it, and we don't know anything. uh, The eye test tells you that Elias Pedersen is not simply, he's not winning his matchups like he was prior to, you know, the beginning of the season, which that being said, he's still an elite scorer in this league. But in terms of confidence of winning your matchup on a nightly basis, it, that has been the strength of the Vancouver Canucks. Quinn Hughes has been doing his thing, but that one-two punch of if you've got one high-end center on the opposition, they're going to have to match up against Elias Pettersson or JT Miller. Pick your poison. Now, with the way that Pettersson's playing right now, uh, affected by something clearly, um, you don't have that. You don't have uh, you know to match up for this team the same way because you're not necessarily scared of Pettersson going off. And guys, the second thing is the power play, right? If the power play is not able to produce, then you have, uh, you know, you're probably a little bit more comfortable as an opposition. So, you know, with Elias Pettersson, I think long-term, overall, yeah, he's a star player. He's an elite player. If he's right, he's going to get his. He's going to make the Canucks a one-two punch that is very, very difficult to match in the Western Conference, maybe in the NHL. But with the way he's been playing right now, you can see that he doesn't have that extra gear. 
And maybe it's a short-term thing. Maybe it's a long-term thing. I, I don't know. Uh, that's a question for Rick Tockett whenever we're able to ask it. But it is something to worry about because you just don't have that same oomph. You don't have that, you know, one-two punch, uh, going back to my boxing analogies as usual, uh, that the Canucks would n- normally have. You don't have, you know, uh, a jab to throw to set up the overhand right or vice versa. So, yeah, it is something to worry about here in the short term because uh, you're going to have a grind of a season. There's really no time uh, until the All-Star break that you can chill. So uh, we look at the Canucks, and not that uh, the penalty kill has been anywhere near as poor as it was a season ago, but it is starting to leak a few more goals here lately, and it did again last night with the Nachushkin goal. 22nd in the league at 76%. Um, can we see this penalty kill ticket up a notch? Because, you know, uh, special teams is part of the reason this team has gotten off to such a good start. Power play and penalty kill haven't been as prolific lately. But is it the penalty kill that should be worrisome right now? I think without Carson Soucy, um, and it's, you know, tough to give one player that much importance on a penalty kill, but what he does bring, especially in front of the net, um, I think one of the underrated parts of his game is also his zone denials where he's able to use that that stick. And we saw that early on in the season with the first two games of the season. Remember, there's a couple of plays, Connor McDavid trying to gather speed in the neutral zone and Carson Soucy just doing an excellent job to disrupt. Um, I think on the PK, that having not having him for the, the foreseeable future really hurts you. And guys, there's not a player that can fill that void in terms of the physicality. Ian Cole does his thing. Tyler Myers does his thing. We'll see what uh, if Tyler is is in any way affected after that shot block yesterday. But the PK to me is going to be something that I think will be a challenge. And it's not going to be as anywhere as near as bad as what we saw last year. But is it a 25 to 22 ranked penalty kill? Probably, right? There's a, still a long way to go in terms of um, keeping this penalty kill in a good spot and I look at you know just the ability to be tougher to play against in front of the net as one of the areas that they've really struggled in a couple of the goals I know the Nutrushkin one Philip Ronick's caught in no man's land yesterday but even the five on five goals guys uh, that does translate to the PK a little bit too are you kind of I wouldn't say use the word soft but are you easier to play against around the blue paint to get deflections or in tight and that's why I think until Susie gets back, it might be a, a bit of a slog here when you're talking about the PK, just because you don't really have another defenseman that can play the exact same style and offers what Susie does to that, to that level. I think Ian Cole does a decent job. Uh, he's a good shot blocker as well, but they're missing something there without the big defenseman. Well, they have. And, you know, in terms of what the lineup's going to look like, and, you know, we haven't seen anybody get recalled or anything yet, which I guess for the time being is, is not bad news uh, for where, you know, Tyler Myers may be. But we're getting to a point now where whether it's injuries, whether it's performance, and not that anybody on the, on the back end, even Juleson, had some moments, but not a really horrible night. I thought he did some good things too. Same with Friedman at times. But we are getting pretty close to the moment where they may have to start running through some of these guys in Abbotsford to see who can be a better fit because Susan's not coming back anytime soon. And if Friedman's gone for any extended period of time, you have to give somebody else a chance at some point as well. Yeah, and the one name that I'm probably looking at that he didn't get the call up previously because he tweaked something with his health, but Christian Willannon is a name that at some point is going to be a part of the equation. And I know Akito Hirose is the guy that got the call up, um, you know, a couple times here. Uh, but with Willannon, one thing he did mention before the season started was that the team told him to get a little bit more rough and tumble, add a little snarl to his game. And it's something that he takes pride in. He worked on um, 
has that really translated at the pro level? I know he's putting up the points in Abbotsford when he's been healthy, but you know that's one guy that I look at and say, if he gets an opportunity, he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder as well because he didn't make the team right off the bat. He was told uh, during the the post sorry the off season to kind of improve a couple of things. And maybe that's an individual that at some point in time, you're going to have to give him a little bit of uh, a chance here. And that defense by committee, guys, whether it's Noah Juleson, Mark Friedman, Akito Hirose, uh, Christian Wolanin, all these guys are going to have to play a role at some point in time until the Canucks can figure out a solution, whether that's this season or next season, to how to really solidify the second and third pair. But that's one guy I keep an eye on because I do feel like the offense is there. He's a player that can offer you something a little different on the left-hand side. But there has been a challenge issued by the team to say, all right, it's great that you're a puck mover. It's great that you bring offense, but we want a little something else from you too. So I think it's up to Olanen to bring that when he gets the call. How big is this weekend, especially tomorrow against Seattle? It feels like a little bit of a sneaky game with Seattle on 21 points now and Canucks at 27 could be a, you know, it's a four-pointer, and uh, then you have the back-to-back. Even though it is San Jose, still still a tough spot this weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, the Seattle uh, rivalry is starting to pick up meaning here as the Canucks have become a better team in Seattle. Uh, we all thought they were going to plummet. I, I'm not going to lie. I had a uh, regression in mind as well, and it, so far it's on script in that regard, but they are upping it here. And this is a pretty meaningful game, guys. You cut down that lead to four points if the Canucks lose, and we're in a situation that we're talking about, you know, the Kings who have games in hand are probably going to be in that conversation with the Vegas Golden Knights, maybe uh, clearly a number two. And then you start talking about is three up for grabs, is number three in that division up for grabs. And, and as of right now, until Calgary, Edmonton, and whatever happens with Anaheim, the Seattle Kraken would look like the most likely competition. So I think that game on Friday night is going to be something that's really important. Um, it will actually have legitimate rivalry um, aspects to it. In the past, I think there was trying to, maybe when last year, especially as the Canucks were struggling, there was a bit of a manufacturing of a rivalry. This one is, to me, legit. Um, Tyler Myers is not a well-liked individual <laughs> in Seattle, going back to last year with Maddie Beneers and that hit. Even some hits on Yamamoto in the last game I saw on uh, Seattle media were not well-received. So this makes for a bit of a chippy game and one that actually has meaning. I still have my concerns if I'm a Seattle Kraken fan just to the ceiling on that team. I feel like they don't have the depth that uh, anywhere near the depth that they had last year. But hey, Vancouver's got up their game. We saw what happened in the last game. And if you take a period off or if you don't play your game, Seattle is capable of beating you with that speed. And that's one area that I think in the top six with uh, your boy Phil DiGiuseppe being taken off the uh, JT Miller line for a little bit, Reach, is tough. Hey, I, I feel you, man. I feel you. But... Um, speed, right? Can you hit the spots? Can you uh, be aggressive? Can you play with speed? Uh, that's one of the areas in that matchup. I'm not a huge fan of for the Canucks, but they have a chance to change that script. And, uh, you know, that game against Colorado last night, uh, overall, they don't pick up a point, but there's still a lot to, of good to take away from it. And one of those things is that, especially in the third period, when they're pressing, they're being successful in the forecheck, uh, you just have to be consistent with it. 
Hey, Randy, we're here at the Clayton Public House, and we're watching some Thursday night football, of course, and uh, we have the Seahawks coming up against the Niners. The the Cowboys are dusting on the the Commanders right now, so that one's pretty much over. We saw the Lions stubbed their toe on Thanksgiving, and as good as they've been this year, they still are showing that, hey, at times, it's still kind of same old lines of certain aspects of the season. But nonetheless, tomorrow, there's a game, too. Your Miami Dolphins Mm -hmm. playing the New York Jets, and considering all all the issues with their quarterbacks with the Jets, is this not maybe a little bit of a trap game with the Jets having lost three straight a divisional game against them coming up tomorrow? I see that conversation, but I'm seeing past it, Sad. I, I don't see how the Miami <laughs> Dolphins can lose this game. They got some guy named Tim Boyle. Wasn't like from Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Was anyone in that? Wasn't there a character named Boyle? Like, who is this guy that's playing quarterback for the New York Jets? If we lose this game to the New York Jets, um, it'll be a bad way. Like, it'll be a, a terrible situation. This means something to Miami Dolphins fans just based on the, the divisional rival and you can't – there's one thing to lose to contenders, teams that are actually good teams in the NFL. You can't lose to the Jets. Come on, man. They're junk. Uh, but Thanksgiving is awesome. And enjoy – slam one of those uh, pizzas at the uh, Clayton Public House as well. Those are good. I don't know if you've had it yet. Really? Uh, okay. You haven't we had are, them yet. Uh, okay, scouring, yeah. Take we, my are, word. we are scouring we have, the menu right now and, and figuring out what kind of feast we're about to have here at the Clayton. Now that you mentioned pizza – <laughs> it's a good pizza. I'm like looking, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the menu real quick here. Uh, this is the Thursday menu, right? Yes. Yes, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, we appreciate you. Thanks for this. Cheers, boys. Have fun at the uh, Clayton Public House. Cheers. Uh, there he is, uh, Randy Jan, a color analyst here on Sportsnet 650. Jan Pro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. Canuck Central, live at the Clayton Public House, pregame to postgame. The Clayton Public House is your home of football. We're going to keep watching, and we're going to bring some more hockey talk but also tee up the big Seahawks versus Niners game next here on Sportsnet 650.